according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 24. I think we've wrapped up verses 5 and 6, just in case uh, it's been a couple weeks. We had last week off, so I'll make sure we're solid on 5 and 6 before we move on to verse 7. Wisdom is too exalted for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. All right? God of spirit, it must be worshiped in spirit and truth in preparation for the study of the Word of God. Let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our study. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we come before you this morning thankful for grace and truth, rejoicing in your faithfulness, and, uh, and hungry, Father, eager to feast upon the truth that you have provided for us here on this day. So we thank you for being faithful, we thank you for watching over us, and uh, for the truth you are about to uh, provide. Uh, Father, let us feast mightily. We thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so Proverbs 24 and verse 5, remember we're working our way through <clears throat> the 30 sayings of the wise, <clears throat> words of the wise, number 21. So um, we're not going to make it through 30 by the <laughs> before the end of the year. We have today is the 15th, the 22nd, the 29th, all right? And then uh, Proverbs is suspended for the, uh, for the through the Bible year. So between today and the next two Wednesdays after today, we'll see how far we get. But words of the wise, number 21. Spiritual strength for the angelic conflict comes through Bible doctrine in a community of fellow disciples. In a community of fellow disciples. It's not about sitting by yourself and learning all the doctrine you can. Um, It's about the community of disciples. So looking at verses 5 and 6 here of Proverbs 24. A wise man is strong and a man of knowledge increases power. And you think, okay, what's wrong with that? I can't be by myself then? Wait a minute, read the next verse. For by wise guidance you will wage war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. And so you understand you're not by yourself. And as wise as you are and as strong as you are, you need the abundance of counselors, the opportunity for a brother to come alongside or a sister to come alongside and highlight something. And it may be something very simple. It may be something and you have no idea why you never thought of that. Why did it not dawn on you? Because it's so obvious. Um, Because we're human. We're finite. We have blind spots. And even uh, the wisest of human beings is still going to have blind spots and things that they're not going to see uh, or maybe, you know, it takes them 20 years to finally see it while their wife saw it 20 years ago, you know? So praise God for our helpmate and, and the fact that she can point out things you, would, you don't see and, uh, and how these things all come together. So we went through Proverbs 24, verses 5 and 6. We also brought in the other Proverbs that go with this as well, like Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. And this is why it's a delight to have fellow elders in a, in a church such as this, or to have deacons and deaconesses that are able to, to uh, clue you into things that you're not seeing otherwise, or just any, any brother or sister that sees things. And I'm, I'm happy to, to collect uh, the guidance that's being provided by the Holy Spirit through my community of fellow disciples. Proverbs 15, 22 
It would help if I can type without... There we go. Without consultation, plans are frustrated. But with many counselors, they succeed. Are we catching the drift on this yet? If we're all by our lonesome, what are we doing? Are we consulting ourselves? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. You know, I'm always going to approve the, the harebrained schemes that, that I come up with, you know, and I'm never going to see the flaws. I'm never going to see the, the other side and, uh, and all the rest. Proverbs 20 and verse 18. Prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. Notice how many of these are in a combat context, you know, it, the idea of warfare, uh, whereby really most wars are you know, the difference between the, the tactics and the logistics and the, the difference between, you know, just, you know, soldiers shooting at each other. And, you know, that's one thing. But the actual logistics to make sure that your soldiers have bullets when their soldiers run out of bullets or run out of food or run out of water or run out of what they need. The, uh, the, the logistics is where uh, uh, real warfare is fought, and we can appreciate that as well. Luke 14, 31, as Jesus was teaching this, what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? You know, there's not a king in the world that would do something foolish like that. The point is, this is normal, and this is normal in secular life. This is normal in Bios life. You have to be smart about what you're doing and what you can afford and what price you're willing to pay for any endeavor. How much more so are those principles valid in our spiritual walk? Let's understand that in, in, in naming the name of Christ and walking the Christian way of life, there is a price to pay. And we better be willing to pay that price. What's expected of us in the will of God as soldiers, as ambassadors, as, as uh, priests uh, in, the, in the church age. Or else while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. You know, if it's a battle you can't win, you better find an alternative. You better find, you know, there's a price to pay and it's worth it uh, in in these cases. Or if you're trying to build a bridge, or if you're trying to, uh, that's the context before the, the military one there. Which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him. And, uh, you know, it just in some cases it just it stands forevermore as a testimony to some fool that didn't plan well enough and ran out of money before it was done. Like the, the skinny bridge in Amsterdam that started off this wide and then they ran out of money, so the little middle portion that connects it is, is very narrow. <laughs> and uh, anyway, it's still there. I've walked across it. Kind of fun. Finally then, 2 Timothy 2.22 My favorite word in this whole verse is with, right? I love the with that's there. Let me just color that green so I can spot it next time. The, the fact is we're not alone in the Christian way of life. And yes, we're struggling. And yes, there's temptations and there's conflict and there's all kinds of things that we're assigned to, to, uh, to struggle with. And yet God's grace is sufficient. His word is, is uh, provided for our application. And we're not alone in doing this. When it says flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, that's, that's powerful right there all by itself. That shows us a four to one ratio related to the things we're avoiding and the things we're pursuing, and I like that. 
That means we need to be spending four, you know, four times the effort positively serving the Lord and one-fourth of the effort uh, avoiding the pitfalls and the snares and the problems. If all I do is sit around all day you know, dwelling on my sin, dwelling on my problems, dwelling on don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, really what I'm truly doing is I'm occupying with the sin instead of occupying with Christ. And, uh, and that's not any good. Eventually uh, you know, you're going to be doing the sin that you spent so much time occupied with. So occupy with righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And then the final part, with, with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. Okay? Not just fellow believers, but those that are actively disciples, those that are actively involved in prayer, those that are actively serving in, in godliness in their Christian walk. So I appreciate that as well. Spiritual strength for the angelic conflict. This uh, text here in Proverbs is not alone in uh, linking together wisdom and power. The tandems of wisdom and power are actually fairly common through the Old Testament and the New Testament alike. In fact, they are titles for Jesus Christ as we find it. Uh, sometimes the, the, the words happen to be together in, a, in more of a general sense, uh, but then sometimes it's a very personal sense and we're specifically identifying Jesus Christ as wisdom and power. When Jesus came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and this power, these miraculous powers? And he, they were just flabbergasted at the, the carpenter's son who'd grown up and now he's in ministry and, and they were amazed. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? So four brothers and his sisters, they're not named but there's plural, more than one. Are they not all with us? So there's a minimum of six siblings there that, uh, that were still alive or were still known by his hometown, the, the other uh, inhabitants there of, of Nazareth. Where did this man get all these things? And then 1 Corinthians 1.24 To those who are the called we preach Christ crucified. This is the simplicity of our gospel. This is the, the, the foolishness of the world, but it's the simplicity and wisdom of God. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And these titles, uh, they're, they're inescapable. We have to identify them for what they are. And in fact, this one here, I think, is, uh, is especially fun because it links so well with Proverbs chapter 8 where wisdom personified is clearly the, the begotten Son of God there and the, the uh, description of that. The weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful. In fact, I think we did not get to this one if I'm correct. So let, here's new material then. Again, we're still talking about conflict. We're still talking about uh, by wise guidance you will wage war. And in uh, abundance of counselors there is victory. That's what we're dealing with in, in Proverbs 24, 6. By wise guidance you will wage war. You say, well, I don't want to wage war. <laughs> okay, that, that verse isn't for me. Other people can use that verse. I'm not going to use that verse. Well, it's in your Bible and God expects you to use it. All right? We're all called to the angelic conflict, especially in the church age. But this is given in the Old Testament. This is true for Israel in the Old Testament. Believers have always been in conflict with unbelievers. 
those that are humble before the Lord and walking in His Word are always going to be in conflict with uh, Satan and his minions and those that are uh, hostile to the glory of Jesus Christ as we understand it. But by wise guidance you will wage war and in abundance of counselors there is victory. So we better recognize our soldier function. And, and also we can appreciate the fact that in the church age we have resources available to us far beyond anything Israel was ever given or the Gentiles were ever given. You know, I imagine Job would have really loved to have had the, uh, the full armor of God from Ephesians 5 or Ephesians 6.18. Job didn't have the full armor of God as far as we know. The, the panoplia, the full armor of God, the, the, uh, the mystery doctrine that's revealed in the, in the church, this is our resource that was not available to Israel or to the Gentiles in Old Testament times. So in our warfare, let's understand this, the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Not only are we equipped, we are very well equipped. We are armed to the teeth. We have everything we need for not just a, you know, we're not just going to squeak by with a, you know, skin of our teeth kind of survival victory. No, we're going to dominate. We have the power and the, the ability to dominate. The victory is already won because it was won by Jesus Christ on the cross. So our little skirmishes and our mop-up operations are uh, overwhelming in this regard. A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. Remember this? This was back in chapter 21, so we've taught this already. We've already covered this. Proverbs 21, 22. A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. And we discussed this both on a literal basis but also in the spiritual basis. What are the strongholds that we encounter? And we are supposed to be tearing down these lofty things that are raised up in, in opposition to the knowledge of God. So we need this kind of wisdom and we need this kind of power and this is what we're expected to do. So when uh, when you know, the adversaries out there spouting their satanic insanity, do we just silently hang our heads and let it go? Or do we speak up and say, you know, that's contrary to the Bible. That's contrary to the Word of God. Boys are boys and girls are girls. How about that? In the beginning God created them male and female. He created them. How about that? All right. And so when, when we're face to face with all this darkness, um, speak the truth in love. Okay? And uh, tear down those strongholds. Uh, for someone that's exchanged the truth of God for a lie, for someone that's exchanged uh, faith in God for faith in government, man, bust that stronghold wide open. We've got the weapons to do it. Just obliterate it. Because for everyone that's placing their faith in a government, just you know, remind them governments come and governments go. Governments fall all the time. God never does. Okay, Our God is eternal. And He's the one in whom we trust. That's the stronghold in whom we trust. So I like that. Proverbs 21, 22. Also Jeremiah chapter 1 verses 9 and 10. At the call of Jeremiah, the young man is called to service and he feels he's too young and whatever and he's all self-conscious. The Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Because remember, it's not about you. You're simply the conduit. You're the tool. You're the, you're the representative. God's the one that's doing the work in and through you of His good pleasure. 
I put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. In the prophetic ministry of Jeremiah. Now we're not Old Testament prophets and we can't storm the the White House and tell the president what to do. We're not uh, attempting to emulate an Old Testament prophet whereby we can claim some kind of theocratic authority to have uh, dominion. Anybody that you know that's pursuing dominion theology is off the rails. Okay. However, this passage for our application does make it clear as we are um, divinely equipped with these weapons, and they are destructive, but they're also edifying, okay? To pluck up, to break down, to destroy, and to overthrow. See? So take that, adapt it, bring it in with these other things that we're told to destroy, taking every thought captive in obedience to Christ Jesus, overthrowing the, the strongholds and the speculations raised up against the, uh, the knowledge of God. Let's destroy those. Let's just obliterate them. Obliterate him with truth, speaking the truth in love. And you notice, to build and to plant. So when we're tearing down these, these uh, false thought processes, when we're tearing down a, a, an evolution worldview, we can then build a creationist worldview. We can then build uh, a, a testimony to, to who God is and what He's done on our behalf, who Jesus Christ is and what the, the provision of eternal life is all about. See, it's not just about haranguing against all things wrong. You then follow up with truth. You're able to show, here, look, this is what the the reality is. Not just the the falsehood for what it is. So plucking up, breaking down, destroying, overthrowing, building, and planting. I like that. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10. I feel like I've cited it already because I've hinted at it several times already, but here it is. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Okay? Every single one of us is still functioning in, the, in a physical human body. Right? And there's a blessing for that. And the blessing for that is it's humiliating. Okay? It's humbling. It's very much the outer man perishes. The, uh, you know, the, the humility of this flesh. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing value of the grace can be of God and not of ourselves. So we do walk in the flesh. Day by day, and some days are long, and we get tired. But we do not war according to the flesh. That is so powerful. I wish folks would pay attention to that, especially as I mentioned that Dominion Theology crowd that wants to go out there and, and you know, onward Christian soldiers, and they're going to make this world a better place, and all the rest of that, that idiocy. We do not war according to the flesh. We are fully engaged in the invisible realm. Our invisible eyes are open and we have our sword in hand and we are, we are uh, wreaking havoc, okay? In a sanctified way. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Notice it's plural weapons. Plural weapons. For the right hand and for the left. It's bigger than just our personal armor. Right? In, the, in the Ephesians 6 armor you've got basically one weapon. You've got the sword of the Spirit, but uh, you've got a helmet and breastplate and all those pieces. But most of those are defensive. It's, the sword is the only offensive weapon in that panoply of Ephesians 6. But here the term weapon is plural. Weapons plural. Dis, uh, divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. You know, and, you, know, you ever tour a castle? 
you ever go and see, like in Europe, you can go through Germany and all these castles, and they're fun. You know, I can walk through a castle all day long and daydream about all kinds of stuff. Um, but, you know, if you're in a castle and it crosses your mind that I want to destroy this place, okay, um, a sword's not going to do it, okay? The sword of the Spirit that's the Word of God, it's, it's useful for its function, and I'm glad I have it, but the sword is not suited for destroying strongholds, okay? We need the, we need the two-handed weaponry. We need the plural weapons such as we have here. We need the artillery, Okay? We need the heavy bombardment to, to level this thing to the ground. Divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Okay? Not just most lofty things, every lofty thing. Every lofty thing. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So we can appreciate that. Our primary duty station is on the wall in prayers. These, these divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, that's our prayer life. I tell you, well, we can call in that prayer artillery. We can call in that, you talk about destroying a fortress. Let the, let the fire rain down from heaven. Our primary duty station is on the wall in prayer. Well, I'm so thankful that not only are we increasing our teaching next year, going from roughly you know, 200, 220 Bible classes in a, in a calendar year to 365 in a calendar year. So that's what, about a 50% increase, uh, uh, you know, ballpark from one year t- uh, to the next. Prayer meetings, though, we're going to four prayer meetings a week. Four prayer meetings a week, doubling our prayer times. What a, what a joy. All right. Isaiah 52, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. You know this verse? Okay. We know the first part anyway. Do we know the the full context of this? Who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces to salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Say, okay, I like that part. (laughs) Okay. I don't want to go to war, but I'm okay with happy feet and giving good news and and, um, yeah beautiful feet even. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Watchmen? Is this another military metaphor again? What are we doing here? Your watchmen lift up their voices. They shout joyfully together. It's not just a single watchman on the wall. You have a community of faith. You have fellow watchmen. You know, one guy on the wall, what's he going to do? You know, because wherever you are on the wall, there's a whole city. There's a whole perimeter. You're just in one spot. All right. Your watchmen lift up their voices. They shout joyfully together. They will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. Break forth. Shout joyfully together. You waste places of Jerusalem. You know, before they see their Savior, there's going to be a lot of destruction in the, in the meantime. There's going to be a lot of darkness. There's going to be a lot of uh, death but they're staying faithful and they're watching for the return of their Savior. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared His holy arm in the sight of all the nations that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. So just stay on the wall. Stay in prayer. Don't lose heart. Don't lose faith. He is coming. He will accomplish the salvation that He's promised. 
This is true for Israel in the tribulation, but it's true for us in the church age. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Whatever battle He puts us in, His provision is there for us. The battle is the Lord's. Still in Isaiah chapter 62, verses 6 through 12, I love this. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All right? This is what God's doing. This is what God has done. He's appointed these watchmen to, t- to have their position. <clears throat> Again, context is for Israel. We adapt it in the church age. Um, I, think, I don't think it's a stretch to recognize in the church age we have plenty of passages that tell us to be on the alert, to be strong, to act like men. So we have a total church age warrant to be able to adapt these passages for our application as well. I've appointed watchmen all day and all night. They will never keep silent. So you see the continuous action on this day and night. When do we stop? They will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest. Okay. Like the nagging kid in the backseat. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we, are we there yet? You know, don't give him any rest. Just keep nagging him in prayer. Jesus told the, the woman that. Keep, keep nagging him in prayer. Like the woman and the unrighteous judge. Just be a, be a, a pesky prayer warrior. Again, you who remind the Lord. Now he's omniscient. He never forgets anything. But he loves the reminders. And God himself reminds himself of things. And so to put to the forefront of his thinking, to, to put God in a place where he is mindful of these assignments, mindful of these conflicts and these struggles. We're called to be his reminders. And then this parallel where you take no rest for yourselves and you give him no rest until, okay? Now, we're, we, now we kind of stop adapting here, but until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. This is what Israel is going to be praying for through the tribulation as they're waiting for the coming kingdom and so forth. Um, that's not our assignment in the church age, praying for Jerusalem's rescue from the tribulation. We're going to be gone long before the tribulation. Okay, So we adapt this for our use. Making Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by His right hand and by His strong arm. See, it's His might, not ours. He's not, God's not up there in heaven hoping that we win this battle for Him. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and his strong arm, I will never again give your grain as food for your enemies, nor will foreigners drink your new wine for which you have labored. But those who garner it will eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. The courts of my sanctuary. How far am I going with this? Down to verse 12. Okay. Go through, go through the gates, clear the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, lift up a standard over the people's. You know, if the Lord's about to come, we've got to clean this place up, <laughs> okay? Make, make the way smooth. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, lo, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. His reward is with him, his recompense is before him. Now this is kind of a fun study too, because remember in the Old Testament, the can't break the mystery. They can't reveal the church. They can't hint. Oh, I mean, maybe they could hint, but they can't reveal the church itself. Now with our hindsight, 
His reward is with Him. Well, we know from the New Testament, we know from a church age perspective that we will be with Him when He comes back to to victory, that He descends out of heaven on a white horse and we descend following Him on white horses. And so it's kind of nice to see this. His reward is with Him. That's us. His recompense before Him. That's His unfinished business that He has to deal with to uh, the enemies there at Second Advent at Armageddon. And they will call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you will be called sought out, a city not forsaken. You will be called sought out, a city not forsaken. A lot of times when people ask, have you ever been to Israel? Have you ever been to Jerusalem? And I say, no, but I've, I've got reservations already made. Okay, I booked a horseback tour. And then sometimes they're like, really? They do those? Well, not... They don't do those yet, but they're going to someday. All right? And I booked my ticket a long time ago. That's uh, it's a marvelous opportunity. And then after a while they catch on and then it's kind of fun. Habakkuk 2.1 Habakkuk. Whoever reads Habakkuk? Okay? Marvelous doctrine in Habakkuk. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. Why? What do you plan to do while, while you're up there? I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. And really we should claim this every time we assemble together for Bible class. We, we, are we not here to be spoken to? Are we not here to respond as God makes his will known? I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. <laughs> Because not every Bible class is, uh, is an attaboy. It's a good job, you're doing great. Some Bible classes are, are humiliating. They're, they're crushing. You get chewed out by Bible doctrine and you realize, man, I've got to straighten up. This is, this, is, this is biblical. I need this. And so we have that. So the Lord answered me and said, record the vision, inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. <laughs> so Habakkuk's going to receive a pretty important message. The message is run. Okay? That's the, you don't want to miss that message and you don't want to fail to write it down. You don't want to fail to warn the people because the people that need to run are depending on you to give them that message. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal. It will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come. It will not delay. You know, and we just had this pre-trib conference last week, and this is really a, a theme. It's, a, it's the concept related to church-age believers that are waiting for the rapture and the temptation that can arise, the, the ridicule, the scorn, the, the, the lack of faith, right? Brothers and sisters start to wonder, well, I mean, it's been 2,000 years, maybe this rapture thing isn't going to happen. You know, maybe the pre-trib view is wrong. And there's no shortage of books out there telling you that there is no rapture, that it's wrong, that uh, you know the, all those dispensationalists are a bunch of kooks and, and uh, it's false doctrine that was invented by Darby in the 19th century. I mean, there's no shortage of stuff. There's whole conferences being dedicated to what's left behind and left behind, as if somehow we're the false teachers. And these conferences are being run by evangelical Christians. How sad is that? It hastens towards the goal. It's for the appointed time. 
God decreed it. It's going to happen. It's not going to be one day too late. Okay? Now this is talking about the second advent, but it could be anything that God plans. If God has decreed it, when's it going to happen? When God wants it to. Right. It's going to happen according to His decree. It hastens towards the goal. It will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, Satan and every minion of his that's following in his footsteps, his soul is not right within him. Understand, for the unbeliever and for the carnal believer, it is spiritual, um, it's, a, it's an unbalanced state. There's just something not right about those people, okay? His soul is not right within him, but the righteous, the righteous will live by faith. See, and for all those people that think there's no doctrine in Habakkuk or the minor prophets or all that, there's tons of doctrine. And this gets quoted in the New Testament how many times? The just shall live by faith, the righteous shall live by faith. It's foundational. And here it is, a little gem hidden away in Habakkuk. In Hebrew, Habakkuk means hugger, by the way. And I don't know why his mom gave him that name, but I suspect she hugged him a lot when he was born and maybe kept hugging him, who knows. There's even uh, rumors. I don't think it's. I don't think the timeline works out quite right. But the Jewish, the rabbinic tradition is: is when, when was it Elisha? One of the prophets said, "Behold, at this time next year, you will embrace a son." And she believed him, and and uh, and sure enough, the son was born. Um, anyway, there's traditions and ideas that maybe because that verb to embrace a son is the cognate here for for Habakkuk, that maybe that could have been Habakkuk. But I just. I don't think so. I think it's just a use of the word. We want to be on the wall in prayer. We want to be walking by faith. We want to be living in righteousness. And of course, Ephesians 6.18. And it's with prayer. It's with prayer. You know, how many people um, back up to verse 13 and they're, they're eager to go through all the, the armor and all the pieces and they want to break down all the, all the detail the vocabulary for each piece of armor and what does it mean to be righteous and all this stuff. But failing to see that once you're suited up, what are you expected to be doing? Praying. Praying. God didn't give me the armor so you could stand there and look good or, you know, it's not uh, designed to be impressive, you know, that women like a man in uniform so you, you put on a, a suit of armor and... <laughs> no. The armor is functional. The armor is there because you need it, because you're engaged in the angelic conflict and these flaming missiles are coming in from everywhere. But be in prayer. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit with this in view. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. We can never run out of prayer requests because we can never run out of fellow saints that have stuff going on. So continuously in prayer. All right. Let's now get a look at verse 7. Words of the wise, number 22. The spiritual capacity to have positive impact in public life is out of the fool's reach. Notice positive impact. The fool can have plenty of impact, but it's just negative impact okay, in public life. And that's very much in the fool's reach. But the, the capacity to have, the spiritual capacity to have positive impact in public life is out of the fool's reach. 
Wisdom is too exalted for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. Remember, the gate is where business is conducted. The gate is where uh, court proceedings take place. The gate is where public witnesses can testify to things that are being done, exchanges of goods or contracts. The gate is the place of business here where this thing, where these transactions take place. And the fool, the fool isn't, uh, isn't equipped for that. The fool is, uh, is has, in fact, probably doesn't even care. Okay? Does not open his mouth in the gate. He's got other things to worry about, mostly himself, his own uh, folly, his own uh, laziness, his own drunkenness, or whatever it is he's doing. The, uh, the fool, as far as functioning in society, uh, blessing his community, serving his, his nation, um, having, a, having a role in the leadership of, of, a, of a nation. Fool doesn't have time for that. Okay? So, again, stating, uh, as Proverbs very frequently does, stating things in general, stating things as normal. Wisdom is too exalted for a fool. Okay? Now that's not to say that he's not entitled to it. He, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's certainly entitled to whatever wisdom God provides, but he's got to stop being a fool, right? He's got to be humble. He's got to humble himself under the will of God. He's got to start to study to show himself approved. And then, man, then that wisdom is, is fully available. If you lack wisdom, just ask of God. He gives generously and without reproach. Okay? God doesn't withhold it from you because you've been a fool for whatever length of time. He doesn't say, well, too late now, buddy. You should have been in Bible class five years ago. No, God doesn't do that. It's without reproach. Anyone that wants the wisdom, if you want to stop being a fool, if you want to grow, if you want to know the truth, God will feed you. And He is so faithful to do that. So uh, the idea of exalted, I don't, don't want to misread this verse and don't want anybody to, to get this idea. And we certainly don't want to get the idea that like the, under Gnosticism or other cults, that there are degrees of doctrine that only the special are entitled to, right? That there's the ultra super grace level of in-depth doctrine that only the ultra super grace mature believers uh, have a clue about and, and all the rest of you losers, you know, you'll get there someday, but you're not entitled to it now. Don't abuse the verb here about being exalted, the, the expression. We're going to see more ex- exaltation expressions. Don't, uh, don't confuse that here to try to twist it into some um, wrong application, as, as I was saying. It's not beyond his worthiness. All, all doctrine is beyond our worthiness, let's be clear. <coughs> We're sinners saved by grace. We're not entitled to anything. The fact that God makes His wisdom known to us is His grace. It's not our merit. We don't deserve anything. So uh, the idea that the fool is somehow beneath doctrine, that's, that's not what you want to take away from this verse. So the spiritual capacity to have positive impact. And what a blessing it is when believers with doctrine now, believers that are functioning in that exalted wisdom, when they do open their mouth in the gate, you know, think about the testimony of Boaz when he was able to conduct his business there for the glory of Jesus Christ. Or Job would talk about his rulings in the gate and the esteem that, that is found there and how even older men than him would close their mouth when, when Job was, was there to conduct business. All right? That there is, uh, there is a blessing there. And what a delight when a nation has a president that's born again, that's humble under the Word of God, that, uh, you know, 
um, was it Garfield that would have tent revivals on the White House lawn? And there have been plenty of presidents over the years that were spiritually minded. I wish there were more. All right, now a couple things out of this. The natural mind and the carnal mind crave the exaltation of political power, but it is God's wisdom that is exalted and equips the humble to serve. And I think this helps us to answer the what about question, the yeah but that rises, okay? Because you might read this verse and say, well, yeah but. He doesn't open his mouth in the gate. I know plenty of fools that open their mouth. I know plenty of fools in politics. There's no shortage of fools in politics. No shortage of fools that are running their mouth in the gate. And when your nation is given over to those fools, it's a reflection of God's divine discipline upon, upon this people. When, uh, when the children are reigning over us, that's not good. So understand, the natural mind, that's the unbeliever, and the carnal mind, that's the believer who might as well be an unbeliever for all the, you know, all the difference it makes in his thinking. He's not living the Word of God. He's not operating under divine viewpoint. So he's, he's conformed to this age just like the unbeliever is conformed to this age. Practically speaking, there's no difference between the natural mind and the carnal mind when it comes to these politicians and, and what they're doing in the city gate. craving the exaltation of political power. And so instead of, instead of really craving the exaltation of God's word, they're craving the exaltation of, of political power. They're all excited about the advancement they can make in their secular lives. They, they should just be craving the, the, the wealth of doctrine. That's where the exaltation is prime example of this, of course, is Antichrist, but there are many, many other examples as well. Daniel eleven thirty six: the king will do as he pleases, and he will exalt and magnify himself above every god, will speak monstrous things against the god of gods, and he will prosper until the indignation is finished, for that which is decreed will be done. You know, the permissive will of God is so frightening that when he does step back and let Satan do what he's doing, it's, uh, there is a, you know, a degree of success for a time frame, whatever length of time God and his patience puts up with. Okay? And understand after the rapture, there's a whole lot of God stepping back because the restraint is lifted. Satan is given uh, uh, discretion uh, greater than he's ever had before. The God of this age is going to have a greater freedom after the rapture. In the tribulation, he can even bring about a resurrection. He can even, he can even heal the fatal head wound of the, of the beast. And uh, he's never had that kind of permissive will before to restore physical life to, to a mortal on this earth. Shows you the, the uh, permissive will, the lengths that God is allowing him to go. Far more than he allowed him to go when he was attacking Job. Far more. And so uh, he will prosper until the indignation is finished for that which is decreed will be done. Because God has the ultimate plan and, and He allows these things to happen only on His uh, timetable and only for His overruling will of God whereby He steps in and accomplishes what He's promised to do. So we can appreciate that. Somebody also asked the other day about this desire of women. He will show no regard for the gods of His fathers or 
for the desire of women. And uh, I tend to think that that desire of women, it goes back to the promise of the seed of the woman promise. The desire of women is the, is the, the birthing of the humanity of the Messiah. That every generation of women giving birth has always been a part of that tradition that one of these days a woman is going to give birth to a son and his name will be Emmanuel and there we go. Other people read that and instead of desire of women they see a sexual thing in there and uh, so they think he's going to be a homosexual or whatever. That's why they said, you know, Bill Clinton could never be the Antichrist because he always had the, you know, and these are cheap and easy jokes to make. Um, but I don't know that it's, it's a sexual desire that's, that's in the view there. And uh, the gods of the fathers speaks to the, the, uh, the uh, you know, the, the, the racial or the uh, national legacy. Of course, he's going to be a Roman. And so the Roman gods represents paganism. And um, the desire of women represents biblical Christianity at that point. And, and really, he couldn't care less about paganism or Christianity because he's going to be promoting himself. He's going to make himself the center of a whole new world religion, the, the center celebrity of this marvelous new age that he's uh, excited about. And, you know, might makes right. <laughs> he will honor a god of fortresses. And uh, he's going to get his way and he's going to get it by force. And then uh, honor him with gold, silver, costly stones and treasures. So he becomes the richest man in the world. He's going to control the world's wealth. If you don't take the mark, you're not going to be allowed to buy and sell. So essentially he's the richest man in the world because all wealth is at his good pleasure. So there you go, the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. And this is what uh, the, the world has to look forward to when the church is gone. And this fallen world that hates the church today is really going to be missing us when we're gone. Because uh, I think then they'll start to see some of the, the benefit, the benefit that biblical Christianity has provided for Western civilization for the world now for 2,000 years. Well, you don't know what you got until it's gone. Anyway, we got several examples here too, um, not only Antichrist, but just think about it. The, Jesus told his disciples, you know, that the, the, the uh, kings of the earth, they lord it over them and, and they, uh, they, they're boasting about who their benefactors are and all the ways that the carnal mind is about self-exaltation and getting ahead. And Jesus says, it's not this way with you. He said, the greatest among you will be the servant. That's what he's called us to do. Serving one another. It is God's wisdom that is exalted and it equips the humble to serve. So you're not looking at politics as a means of advancement. You're looking at God's wisdom as a means of loving God. And then if He chooses to advance you, well then, okay, praise God. We'll, we'll take that as well. That's, that's icing on the cake or that's, that's just uh, above and beyond. That's just extra. The real, the real glory is serving God. Okay? And whatever capacity he calls you to serve is, uh, is icing on the cake. Psalm 75. Hmm. We give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks, for your name is near. We want to be intimate, and he makes himself near. Men declare your wondrous works. When I select an appointed time, it is I who judge with equity. The earth and all who dwell in it melt. It is I who have firmly set its pillars. Remember, we stand before the judge of the universe. He is ready to judge the living and the dead. 
This world is only, the fact that we're still here is because God's merciful. This present heaven and earth are being reserved for fire. I tell you, if it had been me, I'd have nuked this place a long time ago, but God's merciful, right? I said to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up the horn. Do not lift up your horn on high. Do not speak with insolent pride. You know, this is the way of Satan, and this is the way of fallen humanity, and this is the way, this is why pastors are warned again and again and again. Why, before ordination, you've got to be clear, this humility is absolutely essential, or the pastor is going to stumble. He's going to fall into the condemnation of Satan. Do not lift up your horn on high. Do not speak with insolent pride. This is why we don't promote ourselves. And when we talk about advertising, we talk about outreach, we talk about um, how do we um, how do we make the Through the Bible series more known and how do we get better exposure and whatever. It's clear that we want, to, we want material to be available. We want people to know that it's available. But we're not trying to pack out this place or fill the seats. We're not trying to build an empire. We're not trying to build a name. Any of that fame and stuff. If, if that starts to creep into our thinking, we're doomed. Just end it now. Turn off the lights and, and lock the doors. Okay? It's not about self-exaltation. Not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the desert comes exaltation, but God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another. This is God's good pleasure. For a cup is in the hand of the Lord, and the wine foams. It is well mixed, and he pours out of this. You know, this cup, this cup, and it's going to be poured out in the tribulation, this cup golden cup in the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, this cup that's going to be, that's viewed in the book of Revelation, uh, in the, the tribulational destruction that's on the way. It is well mixed. That means it's prepared, it's long prepared, it's just the mercy of God that's keeping it from, from being poured forth. Surely all the wicked of the earth must drain and drink down its dregs. But as for me, okay, the psalmist is not a part of that, he's not destined for that wrath, I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked he will cut off, but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. Okay? Remember, he's opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. This is what it's about. This is why when John the Baptist came, he was preaching repentance. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You've got to have your spiritual life on track when the Messiah appears. It is God's wisdom that is exalted and equips the humble to serve. Ultimately, of course, it is the most humble human being ever to live will be the most exalted human being ever to be awarded everything by God the Father. The maximum humble gives the maximum glory. It is the most humble, Jesus Christ, who is exalted to the maximum. I've got eight minutes to do this. We can do that. The most humble, Jesus Christ, who is exalted to the maximum. But you see, if he doesn't humble himself, he can't get this glory. This is why when Satan was telling him, just bow down and worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms of this world, what Satan was tempting him was to a shortcut, to have the cross without the, or the crown without the cross, to have glory without suffering. And Jesus said, no, it's the will of my Father. The Lord, uh, and, and this was Hannah's prayer. 
what she testifies to when she's praying for a son. The Lord makes poor rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the, Lord, of the earth are the Lord's and He set the world on them. He keeps the feet of His godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them He will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King and will exalt the horn of His anointed. And it's curious, you read through this song, you read through this prayer, and you wonder, was she, I mean, yes, she wanted a baby boy, but what she wanted more than that was the Lord Himself, right? The righteous King. So she was very Christ-focused even while she's praying for this baby boy. And then she gets this baby boy, and what does she do? Gives him back to the Lord. He spends his life in service to the temple and serving the Lord as a prophet. Yeah, Hannah's a marvelous woman and the the doctrine that she communicates here is extraordinary. Psalm 89. I could read all of Psalm 89 this morning, but I don't have time. (laughs) Once you have spoken vision to your godly ones. And I think this is a, a passage that gets into some of the depths of angelic conflict. The godly ones there are not. The, I think in context it's, it's an angelic reference. Okay, As God is revealing His plan of redemption not only through humanity but through the, the chosen people Israel and through the specifically the house of David. So you spoke in vision to your godly ones and said I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him. And so this is the testimony that David is the chosen one. He is the the greatest type of Christ that you're going to find anywhere in the Old Testament. And um, with whom my hand will be established, my arm will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. But I shall crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. My faithfulness and my loving kindness will be with him, and in my name his horn will be exalted. Okay? Psalm 89 reinforces the Davidic covenant, and it speaks not only to David personally, but then ultimately Jesus Christ, the greater son of David, the one that's promised to come and to, uh, and to rule forever. Oh, there's so much here. I love Psalm 89. All right, Isaiah 2, 11 through 17. The proud look of man will be abased and the loftiness of man will be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Okay? You know, they just named Elon Musk the Times Man of the Year. Won't be the case when Jesus comes back. Okay? He alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts will have a day. You can put the of reckoning in there if you want. I think it's just he will have a day. This is the day of the Lord against everyone who is proud and lofty, against everyone who is lifted up, that he may be abased. So if you're ever grieved over these folks that seem to be prospering, just remind yourself, they have a day. The Lord of hosts has a day. And the day of the Lord of hosts is targeted against this exact crowd. Everyone who is proud and lofty. And uh, he will have this day. 
All the lofty mountains. Notice the oaks of Bashan. Lofty mountains. Hills are lifted up. Every high tower. Every fortified wall. This is the object that we're supposed to be against ourselves. We're, we're tearing down these lofty things. We're tearing down fortresses. All of this is just waiting for Jesus to come and once and for all deal with all of this. Ships of Tarshish. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. But the idols will completely vanish. Men will go into caves with the rocks and the holes of the ground before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty when He arises to make the earth tremble. Men will cast away to the moles and the bats. <laughs> Hurry up, Lord. Finally, um, Isaiah 52, uh, uh, yeah, 52, verse 13 this is the verse that has the expression and then really everything that follows for the end of 52, for all of chapter 53, the suffering servant, in order for Jesus Christ to be high and lifted up, to be greatly exalted, he has to suffer on the cross. Okay, Behold, my servant will prosper. My servant will succeed. We taught this on Sunday when we were talking about success. We're going to come back to that again tonight when we're talking about the, the foundation of, of biblical success. Okay? My servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. So he will have victory on the cross. He has a millennial kingdom on the way. But notice now the details. Okay, Again, there's a summary statement up front and then all the details that follow show you how it gets there. Many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance will be marred more than any man. His form more than the sons of man. The abuse that he's going to experience to reach this victory, this success. He will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. What had not been told them, they will see. What they had not heard, they will understand. And then the suffering servant. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So if he does not submit to this, he can't have that glory that was spoken of there, that success, that, that high and lifted up, exalted and magnified. But this is what he's promised. The Father has promised it. It's going to happen. All right. Lord willing, rapture pending. We've got two more Wednesdays. So we'll deal with this next week and the week after. And uh, then we just have to drop it for the year. Okay? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for truth. Thank you for the blessings of studying to show ourselves approved. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.